You are listening to episode number 84 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. New episodes are released every Sunday, only on Sundays. And today's episode is part two of how to be a better ally in this Black Lives Matter mini-series. haven't listened to part one of this series, I highly suggest you do that before listening to this episode, only because it's going to give you more context into who each of these guests are on this episode, more context and background into why I decided to do this mini-series, and kind of where I'm coming from and asking all these questions. My goal for these episodes was to create a resource, so if you're a white ally who's trying to do better, you have questions that you don't necessarily know how to ask or you feel uncomfortable asking, um, these episodes can kind of guide you in that and you'll hear the experiences from three black creators around uh, everything from racism in Canada versus America to how content creators and brands should be responding to these types of situations and how to be better allies on social media. And a recurring theme from the first episode was around how emotionally exhausting these conversations can be and how the black community has really been uh, burdened with needing to educate everyone around them on white privilege. And so I want to start again by thanking the three influencers who chose to do this podcast with me because they saw the value in creating another resource for allies. Before we get into today's episode, I'm going to reintroduce the influencers who are involved in this conversation in case you haven't heard part one. So today uh, we have At Your Girl Carly, who is a full-time digital content creator from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. She has around 200,000 followers on TikTok. She's a body confidence influencer and plus-size fashion influencer. We also have Tanisha Cherry, who is another Canadian content creator, but she has also lived part of her life in the U.S., in Miami, Florida. So she kind of brings both perspectives to this conversation. And finally, we have Hey Bria Jones, who is one of the influencers that I rep at the agency, and she's based in Kansas City in the U.S. She is a full-time content creator in fashion, lifestyle. She also has around 200,000 followers on TikTok. And all of these influencers' voices have really become elevated over the past week or so with everything going on. So if you're not already following them, I really suggest you do. They've all been creating their own content on Instagram around Black Lives Matter, uh, educating on how to be better allies. They've also been sharing a lot of other Black influencers and Black business owners who you should be following. So all of that said, I will have a bunch of links and resources in the show notes again. Um, so without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Living in Canada, it's easy to look at everything happening in the U.S. right now and just think, racism isn't as bad here, so do we really need to protest as much? Is there really as much that needs to be done here in Canada as there is in the United States? And so I asked my friend Tanisha what her experiences were like living both in the United States and in Canada as a Black woman, and how racism differs between the two countries. My mom is Trinidadian. My dad is Jamaican. They both migrated here when they were younger. And so I am the first generation in our family that's actually born here. I am Canadian. I was born here in Calgary, Alberta, but I also spent part of my childhood growing up in Miami, Florida. 
I'm, I lived there for all of elementary school and then I moved back here. But ever since I moved back to Canada when I was 12 years old, I've always been going back to Miami for the whole entire summer. So I've always seen that difference. And I've known that from a young age, like both parts are different. The people here are different. How people behave, how they treat Black people is very different. So that was definitely a culture shock when I first moved back here at 12 years old. The biggest difference is the action of racism. So I always say that Canada is more passive aggressive with their racism, whereas the United States, it's very aggressive. They're very blunt. They're very in your face. And when we think about racism, there's different levels to it. There's outright murdering somebody. There's outright calling someone the N-word. And there's little microaggressions like, oh, can I touch your hair? (laughs) oh you look like Beyonce like crazy Beyonce is gorgeous but it's like not every black person looks the same or I bet you have a friend named Shaniqua and it's like people say that (laughs) girl I've heard it all I remember I used to work at this car dealership and this person I had my hair natural out like this and this guy told me oh my gosh you look like and I I knew he was gonna say something ignorant and he pulls up this picture of Buckwheat from the Little Rascals and this is only a few years ago. I'm just like... Like, what do you I, even say in those situations? I told him that's racist. You and tell him. Absolutely. You know my mouth, girl. I told yeah. him. <laughs> I mean, We're not about to share. I'm not about much. to be uncomfortable by myself. We're going to share in this together. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> and he's just like, no, I didn't mean it like that. Come on, you know me. I'm not like that. I'm like, why would you say that? First of all, Buckwheat is a boy. And... You're, this is because my hair is out natural. I look like, but like, I don't understand what the purpose of you saying that. It wasn't a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had people make comments like, for example, I don't eat pork. The first response I hear from someone when I say that is, what are you, Muslim? And my response is always, and if I was, would that be a problem? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I'm just asking because... Like, do you like onions? Do you like grapes? Like, I just don't eat pork because I like, there's no big concept around it. Mm. And if there was, why do you sound so disgusted? So I feel like the biggest thing is just that people in Canada, especially also black people, I feel like we're conditioned to be tolerant of a lot more versus black people in the United States, you know, they learn a lot more about slavery and racism in their school system. There's still a lot of things that is taken out of the history books to uphold white supremacy. But in the Canadian history books, like there's nothing, there's a sentence. Like some girl was telling me that she learned about slavery in like two chapters in school. And I was like, girl, you got chapters. I didn't even get a full paragraph. (laughs) True. I'm just like, there's a huge difference because people think Mm -hmm. we're under the assumption here that slavery actually didn't happen in Canada, which is false. That's not true. It did happen here. (laughs) So, you know, it's just that we have the way our system is set up is that, you know, a lot of it is hush hush, you know, and they've done it in a way where we've omitted this from the history book. So it didn't happen. Something else important to note is that not all Black people have the same experiences. And when I was talking to Carly, she shared how living and growing up in a white household that afforded her some privileges over other parts of the Black community. I grew up in a 100% white family. I am the only person who lives here in my immediate family who is not white. 
my whole family, my cousins, my mom, my sister, white. They're all white. I am the only visible minority at our family gatherings. We had a family reunion this year. I was the only person who was not white. So growing up, I was only surrounded by white people. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that when I was growing up, it really skewed my understanding because I didn't have traditional black experiences like people with, even if they're mixed, people with one white and one black parent or two black parents. I didn't understand that for the longest time. So in a way that has afforded me a lot of privilege as a light-skinned mixed-race person that I do not experience a lot of the same racism as people who are darker-skinned. And as a result of that, I feel like I'm in a position where I need to speak about it, even if I haven't experienced so many awful things. It still affects the part of me that is not white and I feel like I need to stand up for that those things for those injustices of the black friends that I do have that have been affected by things that have been said or or things that have been done to them or all of these kind of like horrible things that have happened as a result of literally just their skin tone. Social media obviously plays an important role in all of this, and distinguishing between effective activism online and performance activism is something that Carly had a lot of opinions about. So the first thing I want to talk about is the the resharing, the retweeting, the, the stories, the posting, all of that kind of stuff. I think that that is a double-edged sword. For one, the resharing, the reposting, all of this stuff is giving visibility to issues at hand, which is very important, especially if you have any type of influence, be that small or large, any type of influence. If you are sharing these resources, if you are educating your community about this kind of thing, then I think that is important. Now, on the flip side of that, there are people who upload it because it's the trendy thing to do. What I always circle back to. I'm very much like a very music connected type of person. Like I'm very much into lyrics of things and you would know I've sent you guys so many lyrics of Mm -hmm. things. A line that's really stuck with me when it comes to it being trendy to share in combating systematic racism. One of the lines is you talk about equality, but do you really mean it? Are you marching for freedom or when it's convenient? And I think that really encapsulates the fact that a lot of people the only reason they're sharing is because everyone else is sharing. Now there's arguments to be made that they're sharing and it's making a difference, but when you are sharing one off and you are not binding those, that awareness or those awareness pieces with actual action, it's not doing anything. You're not an ally. You're not an activist. You're sharing an Instagram story and then turning around and not doing anything. And I think what's really important also to talk about is the act of silence and passiveness. So I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, well, I I've sh- I shared the story because I don't want to make it look like I am silent or passive on these, on these type of things. But 
I come from the thinking that if you are if you are more scared to not look like you are participating in dismantling systematic racism than you are about systematic racism, you are part of the problem. I've been going in on all of my friends mm-hmm. specifically on this share 10 thing that I've been seeing going around. And it's not that I am anti-awareness from not Black people. It's that I am not impressed or of the understanding how sharing a story, tagging 10 people and hashtagging Black Lives Matter on it makes a difference because it doesn't. It, it really doesn't. And so what I've been saying to people is that the first, actually, before I dive into this, the first thing that I want to talk about is that type of thing. The wording of it is so guilt-driven. And that is what makes me feel like it is more about clout chasing and looking like you're accepting versus being an actual ally activist warrior in the movement. So if you don't know what the, the wording is, it's like, 10 people I know who won't break the chain. And it's like, why does it matter? If you want to share or tag 10 people on a story, tag 10 resources, tag 10 Black creators, tag 10 people who are speaking out, who need their voices to be brought to the forefront of the problem. Don't tag 10 random other lifestyle bloggers, like hashtag Black Lives Matter, and then go on about your day about sharing the 10 cocktails or five coffee recipes that you took today. Like, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. So if you get tagged into one of those things, if you're like, I don't want to look like, this is actually a very good point that our friend Nikki made, is that people have been replying and they've been like, oh, I don't want to look like I didn't support it. And it's like, okay, so then be an ally, be a supporter. Don't You don't have to be scared to look like something or another. Just be a supporter. People are more concerned with what their peers think of them, what their followers think of them than them actually sharing something that is meaningful, like resources. (laughs) People are more concerned with being called racist than they actually are with racism. I think at this point, we've seen almost every major influencer, celebrity, and brand take a stand on Black Lives Matter. But Bria thinks that a lot of these responses came too late, and that we need to be more mindful of the influencers that we follow and the power that we give them when we give them our follow. If you are following influencers who have been quiet about the situation, and especially those influencers who were outraged when Australia was on fire, but now they're super quiet about this, you need to take notice of who you're giving your power to. When you follow somebody, you're giving them a bigger platform. When you engage with them, you're giving them a bigger platform. So if this bothers you that the people you follow do not take things like this serious and they're still concerned with their discount codes and posting everyday things and they're not being sensitive to the subject or not enough in your opinion, then maybe you guys just aren't aligned and you should follow more people that you're more aligned with. Tanisha shared how she's not only been unfollowing influencers, but people in her personal life as well. Girl, I say I'm the unfollowed tour, okay? I get through, I get into these moods sometimes where I'm just like, 
I can't do it anymore. And I will go through my list. And it's actually something I've been actively doing for the last two weeks where I've been actively like, if I know you personally in this city, like some people will follow you for courtesy, but like, I see you, I know you, and you never support any of my content. Like, you know what that means as another person in this space? I'm hitting unfollow. I don't care. You can unfollow me back. It is what it is. But it's just like, you don't support me. It's like almost like you're just posting the quote. You're just doing it because it looks good and you don't want to have the awkward conversation. But you're not actually keeping up with anything that I'm doing. And the one thing that's really made me happy is I'm really happy with who I've been following, especially larger accounts like Mariana Hewitt and people like that, because I absolutely love her. I love her brand. I love what she's done. And I really appreciated the steps that she's made over the last week with not just posting on her stories, but coming on camera, talking about it, doing the IGTV stories, going on her brand page, having in-feed posts, doing the research, like not just even reposting, like, okay, I don't really like the way they did it aesthetically. So I'm going to create my own. And like, that takes time and effort. That's not an easy copy paste. So it's just like the fact that you're taking the time to even make it fit into your aesthetic, not just because it's a top up, not just because it's a conversation that needs to happen because this is something that's permanently staying on your feed and you want people to pay attention to it. Like that takes time and effort. And I really have been happy about, you know, people that I was kind of questioning and doubtful at first. I'm like, I have to unfollow you. We're going to have to see how this week goes. (laughs) But one thing I did today was with a, um, you know, a blogger that I know personally I sent them a message today because I was looking at their stories because they kept coming up in conversations with um, conversations I was having with other bloggers saying, this person hasn't posted yet. This person's not going to post. And I was like, well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And I went to their stories and it's like, oh, I'm feeling so grateful and blessed today. And da, 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 da. And I'm just like, this is no, so no. up. So I sent mm. a really nice message at first. I was like, I don't know if I should. But I was like, you know what? It's coming from a good place. And I don't think you're a terrible person, but I need you to hear this. And I just sent them a message and said, I don't know if you know what's going on. This is what's happening. And as a Black person that knows you, I would love to see you speak up about this. I don't know if it was something you were going to, if you've been hesitant. I posted a story and I got a lot of feedback that people are uncomfortable and they didn't didn't want to offend people. And that may be your position. And I want to welcome you to the conversation if that is. White people and white allies feeling uncomfortable having these conversations and not really knowing where to start is a recurring theme. And this is actually something that I touched on in episode one, because this is kind of how I felt before I dove into all of this. And Carly made some great points around why being uneducated is no longer an excuse. So a lot of the time, you know, I'm up in everybody's DMs recently. Like if I see you doing something, I will, I DMing you, I'm tagging you in a story. Like I am, it's, it's not flying with me. If, if we are friends and you're doing something ignorant, it's not flying with me. I I'm in your DMs because of that. I've learned that the number one response that white people have given is I feel uncomfortable sharing about it because I don't want to be. Like, I want to know before I speak. And I think that is trapping a lot of white people in the idea of they need to know everything before they can say anything. And what I say to a lot of these people is that a voice that is speaking up about injustice is a voice nonetheless. 
They don't have to be, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to read white fragility, white supremacy and me like eight times before you speak out. You don't have to sit on your story and speak about it. You can share, like I said earlier, tangible resources. Let your community know that you are aware and you are working towards it. Using I'm not educated as an excuse is the most bullshit thing I've ever heard. Because how can we sit here in Canada in one of the most educated countries in the world, Alberta specifically, with one of the top education from K to 12 in Canada, and sit here and say, I don't know how to research. I don't know how to look. I know you just wrote a 40-page business paper with 80 freaking resources in MLA format for your fourth-year business program. Like, I know you know how to research. I know that you know how to ask people. I know that you know how to use Google Scholar. I know it. The same amount of time that these people have taken to learn photography, learn makeup, learn hair, learn how to do nails, learn how to freaking do a dip gel manicure in quarantine is the same amount of time that they have could have taken to sit down and research racism. It's not hard. There and there's we are in the age of information. There is things everywhere. You can't tell me that you click through so many stories and you see all this stuff and you go, I don't know where to start. I'm not educated. It just, it blows my mind how much I'm not educated has been an excuse. I asked Carly what content creators and brands can be doing better to support Black Lives Matter. It's important to bring Black voices to the forefront of the movement. Give your platform to people who are directly affected by it so they can help educate your audience, yourself, anybody who might come across it to become better so we can move in the right direction of dismantling systematic racism. On top of elevating Black voices, I asked Tanisha how we can better support Black content creators 365 days of the year. As for what people can do to support creators is like what you do for the rest of everybody else. Follow us, like our content, share it, comment, support Black brands, purchase our products, you know, post about them. The same things that everyone else does and don't assume just because it's a black creator that you have nothing in common with them. You know, like I sit here and bond over early 2000s reality TV shows, just like everybody else. I used to like Britney Spears. It's like, you think I just only listen to rock? I do, but I listen to other things too. Like there are some black people that don't like rap music, you know, like we're multifaceted just like every single other person in the world. So it's just treat us, Obviously, you can't treat us the same because we're not the same. We have to. <laughs> but it's just like support us, you know, go on to your following list and see how many black creatives you're following. How many? And that's one thing that I've been paying attention this week is, you know, when I don't feel supported, I'm just like, well, why would I be supported by this person when literally they don't follow any other black creators, mm-hmm. you know? 
they don't support anybody. They support the people that appropriate our culture, but they don't support us. I think we can all agree that a lot of work needs to be done, but I asked Carly if she'd seen any good examples of brands who are doing it right and how influencers and brands should be approaching their contracts and their collaborations during this time. So Milk Makeup, one of my favorite influencers to follow, Snitchery, she took all of the commission that she made from Milk Makeup, donated it, and Milk matched the donation. Oh, amazing. So... That is a very good example of how brands can work with influencers to elicit change. Some drama that came up over the over this past little bit is that there were influencers on Twitter who were contractually obligated to post that their new app is out. And I was like, listen, I get it. I get contracts. Like I went to school for it. It's my job. I get it. But really think to yourself, do you want to be working with a brand who values money, exposure over human lives? That is a hard choice for a lot of people to make. They don't want to feel guilty for choosing money over over being a good person. And a lot of the time, people do. Like I've seen a lot of influencers still posting brand deals who are silent on stories, on issues, on all this stuff. And I'm like, I know you have eyes. Mm -hmm. I know you're seeing this. So what's going on? (laughs) I also want to bring up the fact that the moment that coronavirus became a serious issue in the United States, brands left and right put pause on their campaigns, paused budgets, influencers stopped posting about their contractual obligations because this was considered such a serious uh, event that it was insensitive to post about. I don't know if I've seen the same this week. I haven't. I haven't. I've seen people posting their brand deals left and right who are silent on social media in any form when it comes to bringing awareness to racism. And Mm -hmm. that says a lot. Silence is an action. Being passive is an action. Silence is a choice. Also, silence as a white person is a luxury. That's all for today's episode. And I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in, for listening, for really showing that you care about this subject matter. And The reason that the four of us came together to create these episodes was so that they could be used as a resource when you're having these conversations. So if you found this episode helpful or meaningful or useful, please do share it on your Instagram stories or with friends or family or whoever. The last episode in this mini-series was actually my most ever shared podcast episode, like ever, since I started the podcast, which is so cool to see. It's amazing to me that everybody is really coming together and focusing on this issue and taking it really seriously and wanting to do better. So thank you guys again. And before you tune out, I left this to the end of the episode because it's really not the most important part here, but I do want to let you know that on my merch store, selfcaresunday.co, I launched face masks today, which I'm so excited about. They are pinky beige tie-dye, handmade in Canada. They're affordable reusable, non-medical grade face masks. If you're looking for 
more face masks because, you know, we all need to be wearing them now. Um, COVID's not over. We want to stay safe. Head over to selfcaresunday.co. I made these masks in collaboration with D Silky, who is one of my friends and who has been on this podcast many times before talking about uh, fashion sustainability in Canada, what it's like to be a fashion designer in Canada. And so we came together to make these masks. She also has a few other colors that she's been selling on her end. And yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know because it's a project I'm really excited about. I think they're super cute and I hope you love them. Anyways, I'm going to let you go. Happy Self-Care Sunday, everyone. 